Hey, it's Sunny Days. I am the co-host and co-creator of Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Listen, I am a podcast her, okay, H-E-R, an activist, a thought leader, pin pusher, and lover of poodles. And I'm Lisa Davis, MPH. I am a lover of social justice, healthy living, dogs, and I love being the co-host and co-creator of Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Now is the time for honest, unfiltered conversations, for authentic voices and their stories, and for connection. Join us as we confront the moment head on with this podcast. It is passionate. It is real as lives behind the headlines. Active allyship, it's more than a hashtag. And listen, it goes beyond the likes, the retweets, and the hashtags, making space for the vital dialogue necessary for racial justice. And now on to the show. So I realized that I forgot to ask the wonderful Armando Lucas Correa about what he was marinated in. In the show, you will hear that he does talk a bit about that. Thank goodness. So I just want to apologize. I am sorry for forgetting that. Here we go. On to the show. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Sunny is away today. If you listen to the show, you know that I love memoirs, and I just read an absolutely incredible memoir by Armando Lucas Correa in search of Emma, how we created our family. He is a best-selling author of The German Girl. Armando Lucas Correa was born in 1959 in Guantanamo, Cuba. In 1997, he and his partner, photographer Gonzalo Hernandez, moved to New York City, where Correa was hired as a senior writer for People in Espanol magazine, becoming editor-in-chief in 2007. He has published two best-selling novels, A German Girl and The Daughter's Tale, which have been translated into 16 languages. He lives in Manhattan with his partner and their three children, Emma, Isabel, Ana Lucia, and Lucas Gonzalo. Armando, welcome to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. It's such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, I'm so happy to present in search of Emma today with you. Armando, I thought your book was absolutely beautiful. In search of Emma was a book that served as an emotional outlet for me. And, and I think it's my most personal book, as you know, and I never thought I'd write. Uh, I remember that an editor for, at HarperCollins came to my office at People in Espanol, you know, I worked for, for this magazine, and I thought he was interested in publishing a book about legendary Hispanic celebrities. But, but he actually wanted to talk me into writing a book about how I had my daughter via surrogacy I was shocked, Lisa. I, I usually don't speak or write during that time about my personal life, and it took me, uh, it took him a, a while to convince me, but I agreed to do it. And you know why I agreed? Because when I went over notes I'd been keeping throughout the process, I discovered I'd had extensive records of conversation I had with my family over the years. All the things that you went through, I think people don't really get it, especially being a gay man and wanting to have a child and this gestational surrogacy. I am Cuban. I am a Cuban exile who arrived in the United States in 1991 with my partner. And I've been with him now for 30 years. And 
we want to be parents, we want to adopt a child. And we used to live in Florida in during those years, during the 90s, and adoption, it was illegal for uh, gay, you know, couples. And, and then uh, I moved to New York and I read an article in People Magazine, you know, it, it, we belong to the same company. And, and it was about surrogacy and I was uh, about a gay man having a daughter via a, a surrogate mother, <coughs> a donor. <coughs> and I, I thought, oh my God, this is the, the only way I can go. Right now, thanks God, <laughs> uh, all the 50 states in, in, in here, they're allowed to adopt uh, children. You know, they the things like, but uh, don't, don't think it's easier yet. Other, you know, roadblock for same-sex couples remain. And the, the Florida ban was created in 1977, I think. It was overturned in 2011. You had to come up with $90,000 in less than a week. And my mind is blown. And then you say, but the worst part about starting the search for a gestational mother is not the exorbitant prices. The most exasperating thing, what makes me shudder and lose sleep, what paralyzes me and gives me tachycardia is the uncertainty. Talk to us about that uncertainty, Armando. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, when when we started the process, uh, remember uh, we're talking about here around 1998, 1999. Uh, right now, you see a lot of celebrity that they have, you know, uh, children via surrogacy, like Ricky right. Martin, etc. That moment, it was like a, a very, very unknown process. And for me, he was talking to lawyers, doctors, uh, you know, people in different agencies that I didn't know. And, and even if you you search them via, you know, Google or whatever, uh, you couldn't find anything about them. He was dealing with the unknown. It was, you know, it was very exhausting for me. And I, 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 at that moment, I was a senior writer at the the magazine and you know that in, in our business we don't make a lot of money and 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 it was a really you know expensive process i have to sell my apartment uh, uh, and get all the money and and when you go through this process you think okay let me go to the most famous one you know the, you have to go the most expensive one because you want to be sure that everything is fine, but not really, it's, it's not the best way to go. And, and I think when I found out that there are different agencies, a small agencies, and the most important part is the doctor, uh, it's easier, I think. Oh, that's so good to know. Speaking of doctors, you had one doctor tell you your sperm is no good, you are infertile, and you later write, never go with the first opinion. That must have been so crushing when he told you that. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, and I I am very respectful to doctors and scientists, but, you know, you have to go to different doctors and, and you have to have different opinion. And sometimes, even if you're going to get a surgery or whatever, you need different opinions, you know, a couple of them. And when he told me, oh, no, you are infertile, my war ended that day. I, I remember walking around Manhattan, crying, and when I go to my regular physician, you know, to my regular checkup, annual checkup, he said, no, Armando, you only need, you know, 
you, you don't need 40 million <laughs> to get to you know in more years you go the in vitro and and then i did all the tests and they said no you're fine and immediately i started the process but you know i lost a couple of years in, in the process this is the problem with the the surrogacy then if you look you lost a pregnancy or you lost a part of the process you need to wait like a six month nine month and and i started the process in 19 officially you know with the agency in 1999 and i had my daughter in 2005. oh wow that's a really long time you know you write about fear and this constant fear talk to us about that yeah because it's, it's like emotional roller coaster when you you start the process and i remember uh, my lawyer he was based in california uh calling me every week with a different process and and you know sometimes a couple fighting with a surrogate about because they want to keep that you know they don't want the daughter of the son and the and, and the surrogate want to keep the embryos, you know, it's always like a problem. In when they, they go to court, they change everything. Uh, I'm talking about the laws in California. That is the, it's a really a friendly stage uh, for surrogacy. And I, I remember, I, I, I didn't see when when we got the the surrogate and we got the egg donor. I didn't sleep for months. And my mind, you know, I was writing and writing. It, it was like a, my therapy at that moment, a, a writing, because I, I, I tend to forget everything that, that is bad in my life. And I think I need to keep everything on the control here on a paper. But it, yeah. it's a lot of fear, Elisa. It's, it's, it's the uncertainty, I think. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about Mary. And that you write about that it was a brief hug. I, I don't want to give too much away, but I thought it was beautiful. But I like it was like you were just like united. And you know, what is the one one of the problems that we have, you know, gay couples, is that most of the surrogates, uh, mothers, they don't want to work uh, with gay couples. And okay. when I read about Mary, and Mary was available, and she told me that because, uh, you know, She's white and she have kids with a with a black guy, and then uh, she doesn't want to be rejected because of that. And the important to be different and the perception that people has because you are the other one. You know, you are the one with a different skin color, and and it's the same with a gay couple. And when you know, I, I am very sensitive with words. And when she sent me that kind of email. I, I thought that she's the perfect one. And in, by the law, you have to be a mother to be a surrogate. You have to have a child. And and she was married at the time, and she, she had a beautiful daughter. We met them. And and then we have Emma. And after we had Emma, we visited her a lot to San Diego. We sent present. Uh, we talked every Mother's Day with her. And thanks God she was the sort of a mother for my twins, to, uh, you know, four years later. Yeah, that's so beautiful. 
You know, you write also about why you wanted to be a dad and you say perhaps that yearning to be a dad had something to do with not having a paternal presence growing up. And I always love to look at the psychology and look at the childhood of somebody that like what shapes us, what makes us, you know, the way we are. I I grew up with a, a lot of strong women in my family, my grandmother, my mother, my sister, my cousins. And, but I didn't have a father, and, and and my father is a great guy. He's alive. He lives in Cuba, but he got married. Uh, he had three daughters, and and he's an excellent father for uh, you know my half sisters. But I grew up without him, and and my mother, you know, during the sixties, she wanted to be independent, and and she was married to my dad, and my dad said, no, you have to stay at home taking care of the children. And my mother want to be an engineer, you know, and, and yeah. we moved from Guantanamo to Havana. She started the uh, the university, and I remember being a child with her during the classes and everything. And she she became very successful, and and still today that she's eighty one, she's still working, and she's an inspiration for me. But you know, I think that the absence of a father my whole life, and seeing my father that he's a great dad you know and for her uh, his children i i always want to be a dad and when i i you know after five years being with gonzalo and living in miami at that moment uh i dream have uh, having a, a son or the daughter you know and for gonzalo it was okay i i remember when i started the process he thought oh my god this is uh, you know Armando uh, dreaming and and he knows I love I love projects and research and uh, everything for me is a project no even if I'm gonna buy a TV <laughs> I do research and and you know even my my friend here at people they tell me, Armando remember uh, this is not a TV this is not a a cat or a dog that you do a lot of research and but uh, it was when he's, he saw that I have everything under control and we met the surrogate, he, he was involved. And, 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 and he's a great dad. He's a stay-home dad after we decide, you know, after many sacrifices. He's a photographer professionally. And he said, okay, I'm going to stay at home. I'm going to take care of, you know. We spend a lot of uh, time trying to be a parent, I want to spend, you know, where we have to be dedicated to, to her, you know, at that moment with Emma. And he's really involved with the school, play dates and teachers and and we love we love our parenthood. I know it's stressful, I know you know having three kids now and Emma is in high school now and the twins is in middle school. But uh, let me tell you something, the biggest accomplishment, more than anything I have ever done in my work life, including writing and publish, publishing my books, is having my children. Was it therapeutic, writing it all down? I mean, I know you said you'd had a lot of notes already before writing the book, but was it like a cathartic experience, just putting it all into this book? Uh, I, when, you know, I am a journalist, and when I, I, I got the offer to write the book with HarperCollins, I 
I was thinking maybe he has to be like an essay. Maybe you have to have instruction. And maybe I thought, no, no, they has, you know, I was thinking about my daughter and my daughter is going to read this book. And, and, and it has to be like, like a long letter to her. You know, that was the, the structure that I want to keep. At the beginning, it was like a dialogue. And then it ended like a long letter. And, and at the end, uh, with this, you know, edition, and and I I, I had a lot of letters to Emma from families and friends, and then I, I talked to them. I tend to have to write to Anna and Lucas, too. And I ended the book with all this uh, family writer uh, writing to them. And because at the end, Lisa, this is a book about how create a family. Uh, or I know we are two dads and we're a gay couple, but it's, 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 it's I think it, this is the passion that every mother or father has with their children. I think so, no? Oh, yes, absolutely. I have one daughter myself, and she's like my everything. Um, yeah. And my husband as well. It's it's just miraculous. You know, you're such a gifted writer. I'm just curious. When did you realize you had a talent for writing? Well, I I, I, I always said that uh, I am a reader who writes. You know? uh, and since I was uh, I was a boy, in, I, I I was very shy before having my children. I think having my children changed everything. <laughs> my personality, my point of view, everything. But uh, I was a very shy. A, a boy in Cuba uh, that I didn't know I, I was gay, but I, I, I know I was different. And living in a communist country uh, with all the restriction and the fear, and I, 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 I always was reading. And every time that I read, uh, I write. And during those years, you know, if you read something and I, I, I and I read more about you know adult books and no children books most most of them may be inappropriate I remember I read uh, Madame Bovary when I was 12 years old I start drinking vinegar like Emma Emma Bovary to lose weight and uh, uh, but but for me it was like a like a reading and writing all the times and and I went to college and I'm still writing. And when I arrived in, in United States, I finished my first novel that I'm never going to publish because it was like a, you know, I was very young. And but I, I always writing. Then you have to start a new career and you have to, you know, reinvent yourself when you are in exile. And when I got the offer to write about Emma, it was incredible for me. And 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 then because I, I, I wrote the book in Spanish and, and uh, I think uh, it was Johanna Castillo. She was the, uh, she was the, my editor at that moment, Simon Schuster, you know, uh, and, and she read the book and, and she told me, Armando, you should write a novel. And I told her, you know, every writer on, uh, who want to be writers, you know, have a novel already written. <laughs> And I didn't speak to her about that novel that I had, but I show her a couple of chapters and the idea about the St. Louis. You know, this is my first novel, The German Girl. And a few 
few days later, I was signing a contract with Samuel Schuster to publish a novel that I had yet to write. And and, and things, thanks to the, the German girl was translated to more than, you know, 15 languages is in more than 30 countries. Uh, I got the in search of a math translator to English and because you know it, it's a top subject even for for today then a Judith she's the 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 I think she's the president of Harper one well, yeah yeah and Judith Kerr and and she was before with Simon and Schuster and she knows uh, she knew, uh, knows about me and and the German girl. She said, "Okay, I want to read your first book." And and thanks God, you know, we have in search of a now in English. Well, the book is wonderful. I have to let you go. I know you have other interviews again. In search of Emma, how we created our family, Armando Lucas Correa. Uh, how do we find out all about you and your wonderful book and other books too? Yeah, you know, uh, the, the, my books, uh, the German girl, the daughter's tale, and. And in search of Emma, you can find it in all independent bookstore. You know, I am, I am, I am very, very connected with all the independent bookstores in Miami, in California, in New York, and and in Amazon. And I am in, in social media too, promoting my books and talking about my books. In and it's my name. You no, know, you go to Facebook, Armando Lucas Correa, or if you go to Twitter or Instagram, it's Armando Correa, C O R R E A. And thank you for having me. Oh, thank you so much. It's been delightful. You're always welcome here on the show. Have a great day, Armando. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you so much for listening to Active Allyship. It's more than a hashtag. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tell your friends and family. This is really important, and we want to get the word out. So glad that you're listening. Please keep coming back. Also, follow us on Instagram at Active allyship.podcast. Thank you so much.